Good evening to you all. I hope you had a wonderful day. Thanks for joining me on another episode of What Do You Think on Gisol FM. I am Okpe Sanyolu. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for all that you've done for us this day. We ask that you please bless us with your manifest presence as you teach us and we learn tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. we will continue our study from the book of Judges. We'll go through chapter 11 as we pick some key verses from verse 5 to verse 40 as we discuss incentive. Welcome back. On the last episode, we saw the need for someone to occupy the post of commander-in-chief. So, the elders took the eligibility offer to Jephthah. His response was not a quick acceptance letter. It was a query requesting for loyalty in terms of offer. It raised a question about their betrayal. Let's read verse 7 and 8. Remember, we read from the New International Version, Judges chapter 11, verse 7 and 8. Jephthah said to them, Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be our aid. Over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah raised a question about their betrayal. Didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? It's not as if the elders directly drove him from his father's house. It was the stepbrothers that did so. But what Jephthah was saying was the elders were alive and they were aware that such was taking place. Though it wasn't recorded that they gave any advice or comment, yet their silence was assumed by Jephthah to mean consent. As a leader, when you are in a place and you see things going wrong, if you do not speak up, your silence may be taken as consent. So the elders' lack of confrontation implied that they condoned the action of Jephthah's stepbrothers. Let's see other reasons Jephthah may have asked those questions in verse 7 and 8 that we read. First, to expose them for their betrayal. You know, he said, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? So, if you knew I was talented and you would need me one day, 
why didn't you oppose my being exiled? He also asked the question, probably to confirm the loyalty. That is, if his stepbrothers did something to Jephthah and they didn't speak out against their action, it probably means they supported the half-brothers. So Jephthah's question was, if you were once loyal to my half-brothers, how do I verify your sudden allegiance to me? Well, to me, the response of the elders showed that they admitted their fault. They didn't argue about Jephthah's assumptions. All they said in verse 8 in response to all his questions were, was, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. So it's just like they said, nevertheless, okay, fine. We know we are wrong, but we are stuck, and we need your help now. So the elders came to Jephthah the same way the entire nation approached God by acknowledging their sins. You know, when they went to God on the last episode, we saw them crying out to God, and God said, no, go and meet the idols you ran to. Let them help you now. But the Israelites said, no, we know we have sinned, but please have mercy on us. The same way the elders have come and approached Jephthah, demanding for mercy and deliverance as they did with God. Their actions showed that they had surrendered their pride and were bringing forth fruits meet for repentance. Why do people say, let me say this Yoruba proverb and I'll try to interpret. They say, Ibiti abati sawikwe odaro. Literally, it means that if you go to a place and you bid them good night, you don't go back there to say, good evening, I've come back again. Or in the English idiom, you can just say, okay, forward ever, backward never. I'm done with my past, I'm not going to visit it again. That kind of statement, is it because of principle or pride? Well, I feel it's a mentality that deprives people of help. If the prodigal son had refused to go back home and wanted to prove that he was a big boy, he had gotten his inheritance, he had squandered it, and goodbye to his father, he would have lost it all. Not just the money or inheritance, he would have lost his home, his family, and probably his life. Hunger would have snuffed the living daylight out of him. So, Despite Jephthah's confrontational response, the elders sought Jephthah's help for the good of the nation at the expense of their pride and self-esteem. I feel that is how true leaders should act, always seeking the greater good of all. authenticity of the offer that the elders brought before Jephthah, it took his time to ask them another question before giving his acceptance letter. Jephthah finally asked in verse 9, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me, will I really be your head? 
There are three things I want us to note from the above conversation, or better put, the question and answer section between Jephthah and the elders. First, when you carry the solution, all you have what it takes to solve a problem, people will search for you. Even those who have despised you previously will come to plead. Well, at such moments, the grace of God is needed so that one will not allow pride or the hurts and scars of the past to make us resentful. One may even be tempted to delay or even deny the help they seek from us. Others even see such instance as an opportunity to take revenge. Jealousness. I know it is not easy to let go of the past and then choose to help. But that is how Jesus instructed us to live. To live a life of forgiving those who trespass against us. It is a life of praying for her enemies. It is an extra mile life. Oftentimes, we say we have forgiven someone, but we never want to have anything to do with them again. I don't mean you go back frolicking with them, but the higher life requires that your forgiveness is not just passive. So when we take action in our forgiveness by going the extra mile to pray for our enemies, it essence our healing and our scars will also be soothed. Sounds difficult, right? God will help us. Amen. The third thing I want us to note from the conversation between Jephthah and the elders is that when we are called to do a job, Excitement and anxiety should not stop us from finding out what is in it for us. Some of us job at offers because we are desperate and when the job is done, all we get is thank you. Then we feel bad and speak ill of the other party. Stating your terms or negotiating your reward is not a sign of greed. Rather, it shows you have self-esteem and a sense of worth. It shows you are confident about your skill or service and deserve to be acknowledged or appreciated for it. Fine. The rewards are not always monetary in nature. Sometimes it could be recommendation for a better or more suitable post like the case of Jephthah. So, another thing is that you should not under-negotiate. Don't go around doing Jacob's kind of deal. I mean... Who offers 14 years to marry a woman? If all your 14 years wages is what you intend to offer as a dowry, what do you intend to feed your wife and children with? Do you understand? So the bottom line is do not be desperate for anything. Be specific. Ask what's in it for me. If you are comfortable with it, you go ahead. If not, you renegotiate. I'm not against free services, but do not go around complaining about being taken for granted.
So in verse 10, the elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. The elders confirmed the incentive, and Jephthah agreed. He went with them and assumed duty immediately as commander-in-chief as he sent messengers to the Ammonite king. But the king of the Ammonites refused to budge. After all the interviews and negotiations and Jephthah was chosen, God decided to endorse the choice of the elders. The Spirit of God came upon Jephthah. verse 29 to 31 then the spirit of the lord came upon jephthah he crossed gilead and manasseh passed through mizpah of gilead and from there he advanced against the ammonites and jephthah made a vow to the lord if you give the ammonites into my hands whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's and, we, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. We're going to note three key words from that portion of the scripture. If, that's if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door to meet me when I return, not if I return, when I return. Now, we are going to examine the contents and implications of the vow and how it all went wrong. Let's start with if. First, it should not have been an if case. Jephthah should have known from history, from previous judges that had ruled before him, that God's presence on him was not for any other thing other than the deliverance of the Israelites and that meant victory. So he was sure to win against the Ammonites. If he had also stopped to consider that he's being chosen to fill the post of commander-in-chief, despite his illegitimate background was divinely orchestrated and not sheer luck, he would have had trust or faith that indeed the Lord is mighty to save. about the if maybe the refusal of the ammonite king to the message he sent to him earlier made jephthah doubt the chances of his victory for a moment so that probably prompted jephthah to offer an incentive to god in order to secure his success he made a vow before the vow he considered his success and if case as we noted earlier but by the time he was making the vow it changed to when like whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when i return so now he seems sure of his return so when i return in triumph 
But before it was, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, that got me thinking. He probably felt more assured of his victory as he seemingly offered an incentive to God. As in, now that I am putting something on the table for God, I have his backing. I'm rest assured. You see, there's a theory going around these days. Is it a theory, a hypothesis? I don't know. About obeying God's instruction and then holding him ransomed for a word. Let me make it clear as I cite a popular example. We are instructed to pay sight. Fine. It has a blessing attached to it according to Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 to 11. Bring you all the tithes into my storehouse and I'll bless you, fill your bands and all of that. But like every other command, it should be obeyed primarily out of love for God and his word. Jesus says in John chapter 14 verse 23 that if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Now, some people pay their tithes. But they do not rest or have a healthy eating habit. So when they fall sick, the prayer goes thus. God, I must not be sick because I pay my tithe. Oh Lord, why me? I pay my tithe regularly. Why are things tight for me? Fine. God may answer such prayers if he wills. Because of your level of faith or because of the level of the knowledge of God's word that you have, but that does not make the approach right. You see, others go to the extent of paying beyond the recommended percentage as tight, not because of their faith or specific instruction from the Lord. But for higher returns, like I pay 10% and God blessed me this much, and so I'm going to pay a higher percentage so I get something more. And so they turn the payment of tithes into a lotto chance game. You see, Abraham was the first man that paid tithe to Melchizedek. Yet in all his years of barrenness, he never approached God about it based on his tithe. Dear listeners, I do not mean you should not claim or expect the blessings attached to obeying God's instructions. You know, like we have in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 to 14. If you do this, this is the reward. If you do this, this is the reward. It's good. What I'm saying is that the expected reward should not be the motivation for serving the Lord or obeying his commands. The love of God should be our basis for obeying divine instructions. So, may I ask, why did you make that vow? Is this an act of worship or to cut a deal with the Lord and motivate him to do what you want? Okay, we move to the next one we have considered if. The next thing we are considering the content of the vow is whatever. 
Jephthah was not specific. He gave God a blank check. You see, God cannot be mocked. I don't think it is correct to give God a blank check. I feel it should be the other way around. I mean, God gives us blank checks and fill it up. But see, there's nothing you have that can stimulate or influence God's agenda. If anything will astonish God, it will be your faith. I mean, like the faith of the centurion and the Syrophoenician woman, and Jesus said, I have never seen such great faith in all of Israel. Those are the things that can move God. And when God does things to people like that, it is after then they go around testifying, doing things in the name of God. Not that they promise God, I have not seen anyone come to Jesus in the New Testament saying, um, I will give you this if only you will heal me. No. They get the healing and then Jesus instructs them, go and offer the, the, this and show yourself to the priest and do this and that. Sometimes they won't tell them not to inform others, but of course, they can stay silent and they publish the testimonies. So I feel that we underrate God or misplace parrots. So how do I put it? You know, when the elders came to Jephthah, it was quick to point out the reward aspect. He ensured that the elders emphasized that he will be your head once he succeeds. He was specific. Jephthah did not receive a blank check, yet he offered a blank check to God. Why? You see, even the Almighty God is always specific. When he wanted Abraham to offer Isaac, it was clear. God did not say, bring me a meal from your loins. If God had said so, Abraham would have gladly sacrificed Ishmael so that his own would be at peace. Oh, what an easy way to erase the past error. But God made himself clear. Isaac was the required offering. In Judges chapter 6, verse 25, God told Gideon, Take the second bull from your herd, the one that is seven years old. Hello? If God could be detailed about a bull, you think he doesn't have all your particulars with him? I mean, the very strands of your hair are numbered. If God can be specific with us, why are we not specific in our dealings with him? Jephthah's incentive to God in the form of an unspecific vow? How did it go wrong? Well, the blank check had to be filled on his triumphant return. And no, it was Jephthah's only daughter that showed up to fill the space. Wow! A pending human sacrifice in appreciation of the victory wrought by God. Jephthah's lack of specificity in his vow that was probably underlaid with anxiety and doubt was going to make him childless. As soon as he discovered, he cried, Oh my daughter, you have made me miserable and wretched because I have made a vow which I cannot break. In that instance, Jephthah's human nature was blaming his daughter for coming to welcome him on that day. 
And I guess it must have been a usual practice to come and welcome a father from the battlefield since he was a mighty warrior. And this particular success would have changed her status from daughter of Jephthah the fugitive to daughter of Jephthah the commander-in-chief of the armed forces stroke head of state. So, but her father cut that dream short with his irrational unspecific vow. That was to be that was to be an incentive for the guarantee of his success. In short, he should have thought well before saying whatever. Dear listeners, when we pray, it should stem from the word of God, not our emotions. Jephthah probably prayed based on his emotions and lopsided knowledge of God's word. Any vows should be kept and not broken. But he forgot that Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 29 to 31 says that God detests human sacrifices because it was a pagan practice. And I think maybe Jephthah also picked it up, seeing the pagan nations around him practicing such. So he was going to cancel one law with another. I mean, if God was going to punish him for human sacrifice, he would also receive forgiveness because he did it in order to keep his vow. What an ironic way to live. Before we wrap it up on this episode, let's talk about Jephthah's daughter and her friends. Jephthah's daughter also knew the part of the scripture about keeping one's word. She even mentioned the reason for the, fa- for the vow. In verse 36, she says, My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. Which means that either she was there when her father made his whatever vow, or she was used to her father making vows as incentives to get whatever he wanted, and he always fulfilled it whenever the deal went well. In any case, she didn't sound too perturbed about a father's rash decision and was willing to do a part. However, she requested for two months to mourn a spinsterhood in the company of her friends. Her friends did not refuse. They agreed to roam the hills with her for two months. They stayed with her. They wept together. They did not advise her to rebel. They did not plan her escape. They were a stretcher bearer friends. Life is full of ups and downs. Who are those that stick with you when the chips are down? Are your friends the type that only buy a shrubby show up for events and consume the equivalent of whatever they paid for the attire when you are here who stays by your side who consoles you when you are bereaved or lose your job who pats your shoulder when you are going through tough times and say friend i am praying for you we are in this together 
apart from your nuclear family who is on your emergency list if you don't have ready answers for those questions you may have to reconsider and reevaluate your present friendships you can also pray to god to make your paths cross with those with whom you need to be friends you must also be ready to show yourself friendly and also provide a shoulder for others to lean on in my opinion vows and pledges should not be used as catalyst to fast track our answers from god what do you think Dear God, we thank you for this episode. We ask that you help us to watch what we pray. Help us to know the scriptures well enough to pray from your word and according to your will in Jesus' name. We also ask for everyone who has been held captive by unspecific vows which they were unable to fulfill. Dear God, we ask for mercy on their behalf and we pray that you release them in the name of Jesus. And for everyone who has been hurt in the past and has kept such that and has kept others locked up in unforgiveness, we pray for grace for their scars to be soothed as they release unforgiveness from their at this moment and move forward and find help in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning into the program. It's been a wonderful time with you all. And thank you, dear Emmanuel, for putting the production together. You can always send your opinions to us on WhatsApp, plus 234-803-490-1292. Until we meet next time, I am Okbae Sanyolu. Stay blessed.